thank you, Sam, and for the shepherds and for the band for leading us so well this morning. Um, and we're going to be carrying on in First Timothy, as Sam said, so please do keep chapter 3 open in front of you. Sam read the whole chapter for us, but this morning we're just going to be focusing on the first 13 verses, and we'll look at the rest next week. But before we dive in, let's pray for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you, that you're, we thank you for your word, and we thank, to you, thank you that you do speak to us through it. We thank you that all scripture is breathed out by you, and that you use it all by your spirit to grow us and make us more like Christ. And we pray you'd do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And as you probably noticed from our reading this morning, we're going to be thinking lots about church leadership. And not just that God is king and he's in charge of the church, but actually that he has appointed people to lead churches. And we'll think about kind of what leaders should be like and what leaders should be doing. As we dive into that, I imagine some of us are here thinking, well, can't the elders and the deacons do that in their own time? Why do we all have to come on a Sunday morning and listen to such a dry and boring topic that the leader should probably know already? Well, I hope actually we'll see this morning that actually this is a topic we all need to know about. Because actually we need to know what leaders we should have in a church, even if we aren't one ourselves. We need to know what sort of leaders actually is going to help the church to grow and help the church to be the church it should be. And we need to know if leaders are not doing that and if we need to go somewhere else or if there needs to be a change there. So I hope that this morning we'll see that there is real practical application to us all, whether that's for an elder, for a deacon, for whether you're visiting and just seeing what our focus is as a church family, or even they personally for myself, I realized standing before you this morning as a minister in training here at Chalmers, uh, at Redeemer, sorry about that, I was at Chalmers, I was at Chalmers when I started the job, um, that actually this describes what I should be aspiring to too. And that comes with wonderful joy to see the Bible speak so clearly on what I should be looking to, but also with tremendous challenge because I realized that even in the short time I've been doing it here, that actually I've not always lived up to that standard. And I'm sure the elders and the deacons will feel it too this morning. Now, I hope that it won't just change us, but it will also encourage us this morning. And we'll, we'll get to kind of what the kind of practical outworkings are in just a second. But to begin with, I want to see that leadership is important. For example, take Newcastle United. The football fans might know that a couple of years ago, the club was bought out by a very wealthy owner, so now it could buy whichever players it dreamed of, and they could get the best facilities if they wanted them. Though, you know, the world was their oyster. Premier League success is just around the corner. But actually, if you listen to lots of the kind of football experts at the time, they said the key to Newcastle's future success didn't lay in the players that they could buy. It wasn't about the money. But actually, it was about their manager, Eddie Howe. Actually, he was going to be the key to their success because they needed a good leader. And football fans, well, they know all too well how important leadership is, don't they? If you've ever had the misfortune of listening to talk sports after one of the big teams has lost, you know all too well the complaints that come down the phone lines as they turn on their manager and call for him to go. Leadership is important. 
And not just in sport, not just for football clubs, but leadership's important in all walks of life, whether it be businesses, whether it be politics or nations, and also for churches. In fact, in 1 Timothy, we've already seen that there's been some major problems with leadership in the church there. Back in chapter 1, we saw that there were these local false teachers who had used their kind of status and their position in the church were to make wild speculations about what the Bible says instead of to teach the truth and help us all to grow. They were teaching lies about Jesus and the gospel which were damaging the church. And we'll see later on in chapter 5 as we go, and 6 as we go through the letter that actually they were also teaching weird practices they were saying that real Christians, well, they abstain from certain foods. And that actually, if you want to be a proper Christian, you shouldn't get married. And they also going around and using their power to steal money from the people that they should have been caring for. Ephesus is in a leadership crisis with dodgy dealers destroying the church and destroying people's lives. So leadership is essential if we want to be a godly church that is growing more and more like the Lord Jesus. And that is Paul's desire for us as a church. Sam read on, didn't he, in chapter 3 to the end, where we see there the heart of the letter. And Paul's desire is that as we read this, we all, not just the leaders, we all might know how to behave in the household of God, that we all might be living out godly lives which honor the Lord Jesus, and to do that, we need godly leadership. So let's dive into the text and see what it says about leaders. So firstly, we're going to look at verses 1 to 7, where we're going to see that the church needs elders, godly men, who teach the truth. Now, just a very quick note. I've used the word elder, and you might see in verses 1 and 2, Actually, the passage is talking about overseers. Now, in the New Testament, those two words are used interchangeably to describe the one office. But in our history, we're probably more comfortable with the word elder, so I'll probably use elder this morning. But feel free to ask a question in the Q&A about it if you're unsure about what I mean. But when it comes to elders, we're going to learn three things this morning. We're going to learn about an elder's desire, an elder's role, and an elder's character. So firstly, the desire, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The desire to be an elder or an overseer, well, it's a good and noble thing that we should be thankful for when we see it in our leaders. Because we might think from what we've seen in 1 Timothy that actually the false teachers, well, they wanted to be teachers of the law, but they really shouldn't have been. So that might make us think, well, actually, if someone desires to be leading the church, well, they're probably dodgy. They only desire it because they want to do something a bit nefarious. Well, actually, the desire should be there for the godly teacher too. Because just imagine a church where you found out all your elders didn't really want to be there. And that every time you met up, Sam looked like he was bored out of his mind, didn't want to talk to you. Colin was turning his back on you. Derek hung up the phone on you. 
Is that the church you want to be at? Where none of them have any real desire to be there. They all feel just too awkward to quit and walk away. But they really wish they could. No, that's not the church we want to be at. The desire to be a leader is a great and wonderful thing that we should be thankful for. But as chapter one showed us, desire is not enough for a church leader because it needs to be real understanding. And that leads us on to the elder's role. And it's in verse two where we get the clearest indication of what an elder should be doing. The end of verse two, it says, able to teach. That's what elders have to do. They have to be able to teach the truth. So we can't just have elders who are silky, smooth communicators who sound great behind a lectern. And you can't also have elders that make really good charity trustees, who knew the ins and outs of charity law. Well, actually, whilst those are both great gifts, the elder primarily has to be able to teach. Elders are teachers. They have to be able to teach the truths that we've seen in 1 Timothy, that the law condemns us all as sinners. But that amazingly, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like us. That he's the mediator for all people and the ransom for all. That is what elders have to do in a church. They have to be able to teach the truth. Because they have responsibility to teach the whole counsel of God to the whole church family. And that includes the less easy truths, like we saw Sam preach on last week. He has to be able to teach that to be an elder. And it is also because of last week and what we saw about kind of authority and leadership in the church. Well, that is why our practice here at Redeemer is that we only have male elders. Because as we saw last week, God wants his church to reflect his good design for us and our gender, all the way back in Genesis 1 to 2. Now, if you weren't here last week, that's, there's probably lots of questions you have about that. Either feel free to ask in the Q&A, or please let me invite you to listen to Sam's talk from last week, which answer lots of the questions you might have about that. But back to what our passage says. Elders must be able to teach... But it doesn't necessarily mean that all of them have to teach in the same way. Not all of them has to preach. We see, we'll see in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that actually there is variance in the kind of gifts and the ways that elders get involved in the teaching of the church. And that's a good thing. And it's also not to say that only elders can teach. Otherwise, it'd be very awkward for me right now. But also, just think about the kids' work going on downstairs. Well, wonderfully, much of the teaching of wonderful truths about the Lord Jesus is done by people that aren't elders, as a wide array of people use their teaching gifts to help us all grow for the glory of God. Elders must be able to teach, and elders must take the responsibility of the teaching of this church family, but we all can play a part in it too. So to the elders here this morning... That's what it means for you to be an elder. Are you willing and able to teach this church family the truth? And are you willing and able to stop people teaching lies about the Lord Jesus? And to the rest of us, 
is that what we look for in our elders? Do we want people that take the truth seriously and help us to understand it better? Is that what we want from our elders? Now, that is obviously an important thing that we should long for in a church. We should long for elders who are biblical and teach the truth. But that can't be all that we're looking for. Because, as you might have noticed in the reading, well, the airtime in these verses is much less about what an elder does and much more about their character. And that's what we're going to focus on now. We're going to look at an elder's character and what they should be like in the church. And just to say, as we go through this list, well, that ultimately we are all sinful and that you won't find a perfect elder in this room nor in any church. We're not looking for the Lord Jesus, but we're looking for people that accept his forgiveness and are willing to grow in these areas and that are repentant when one is lacking and are growing in them all. So we'll kind of fly through the list and see kind of what should an elder's character be like. So verse 2, well, above reproach. So elders, you shouldn't be towing the line of inappropriate behavior, even if nothing untoward is going on, because you must be above reproach, leaving no room for suspicion. An elder must be the husband of one wife. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that a single man couldn't be an elder, but rather that an elder cannot be flagrantly disobeying God with their marital status. An elder must be living in line with what God made marriage for in Genesis 2, to be one man and one woman, or to be single. Because if an elder was living out something different to what God so clearly stated, well, then how could they teach the truth to the rest of us? Carrying on. An elder must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard. That's what an elder should be. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Even though an elder might have to correct people, might have to teach the truth, actually, you cannot be violent in the way you go about it, not in the way you act, nor in the way you speak, because an elder cannot be quarrelsome. Imagine if you found out that every elders' meeting, whenever there was a dis- disagreement, that it turned into a pub brawl with black eyes and fr- fists flying everywhere, well, that would be unacceptable for elders. Because an elder must not be quarrelsome, but gentle. Not a lover of money. An elder cannot be in it for the money. Because just imagine how horrible it would be, as was going on in Ephesus back then, that an elder was using his position to fleece the church and to steal from the people that he was meant to be caring for. An elder cannot be a lover of money and be using it for that. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If an elder's own house 
is in absolute chaos and disarray, and he's just given up trying to sort it out, well, then that would call into question whether we should trust him to look after God's household and whether it might be helpful for him, his family, and for us as a church, for him to step down and not be burdened by another household to care for. He must not be a recent convert, and he must be thought well of by outsiders. It's a long and intimidating list, and I imagine for the elders here it is hard to, as you think through those lists, think through those things, and know that you have not always acted perfectly in them, and that God really does care about the godliness of the people that lead this church and all his churches. So elders, does that describe you? And as you train me here, does that describe me? And for all of us, is that what we see when we look at our elders? Now, personally, I guess in the few months I've been here, I've had the pleasure of getting to know the elders as I've been invited to some of their meetings. And I can say it's been a real privilege to meet a group of men who care about the truth and who care about godliness both in their own lives and in the lives of us as a church family. And for that, I've been very thankful to get to see that these last few months. But as we said, elders will not always be perfect in these ways. Now, wonderfully, we do not live under the law, but under grace. So we should be praying for our elders that they would grow to be more and more like this. It's good to pray for them as they make decisions and lead, but we also need to be praying for their godliness, because actually it's their godliness which Paul is so concerned about if they're going to lead this church family. We should be praying that they would be quick to repent, eager to grow, and depending on God's grace as they do so. But if there are real and persistent issues with little growth and no repentance, then actually the Bible says that is a big issue. Because just like the church in Ephesus, if lots of ungodly men are let loose to lead a church, then that will be disastrous. If men who do not know the truth are put in charge of the teaching of the church, well then how will any of us know the Lord Jesus better? How will any of us grow in our knowledge of the gospel and grow in godly living if we have leaders like that? We'd become just like the football team with a bad manager, where we'd be playing all over the place and we need our good leaders. And this really is still an issue for the church today, perhaps especially for our constituency of churches in the world. When gifted young men have been hastily put into leadership positions because they've looked gifted, but no one's cared about their godliness, that they might be dynamic, engaging, they might preach really well, actually behind closed doors, and actually sometimes very publicly there were real issues going on. Well, even in the churches we know today, that has had disastrous effects. That the gospel has been scandalized for the world, and that actually people in the church have been hurt 
and even fallen away because ungodly men have used their position and not lived out their character and the role as they meant to and they ought to. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 5 will help us to think about how we'd go about dealing with a problem like that in the church. So we won't necessarily talk about that this morning, but that is something we would have to deal with, but we'll get there later on in the letter. But what we do see here is that having godly leaders is the pattern that we need if we're going to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. If we're going to all behave as God's household, well, then we need men who teach the truth clearly and who model to us godly lives that help us all to grow. That is what de- that's what elders need to be in God's church. Now, let's uh, turn to look at the second point in verses 8 to 13 and see that the church needs deacons, godly men and women, who know the truth. And again, we're going to kind of look briefly at the deacon's role in the church family, and then we're going to think about a deacon's character. So, for the role, verse 10. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now, we we first meet deacons back in Acts chapter 6. When there, well, seven men were appointed to serve and keep the church family orderly and to free up the elders to focus on the teaching of the word and to focus on prayer. So I think we can see that while the elders are charged with leading the church through teaching, well, deacons lead the church through serving. They serve in order to keep the church family ordered. And they also serve in places where they've got gifts and skills with previous experience that's been tested, verse 10. That's why in this church family, well, we have a number of deacons caring for a variety of issues around in church life to make sure that it's not chaotic, but ordered to keep the various ministries that are going on this church running week by week. So it's wonderful that we have deacons looking after the building or pastoral care or the finances. It's great that we have deacons making sure the ladies' Bible study runs or the youth group runs, because without them, well, the ministry of this church would be chaotic, disordered, and would not be honoring Christ as well as it could be. So we should all be giving thanks for much of the work that the deacons do. Much of it behind the scenes, out of sight, but all of it essential as they use their gifts to help us be a church like God wants us to be, to be an orderly place where the the things of this church do run and do help us all to love and know Christ better. What a joy it is to have deacons like that in this church family. Now, just a quick aside for clarity. It's actually this distinction between the roles of elders and deacons is why we, whilst we wouldn't have, we sorry, whilst we only have uh, de- uh, elders be men, actually we do have deacons both, be both male and female. Because we saw in chapter two that it was for men to lead the authoritative teaching in the church, but also in the New Testament there is precedent for female deacons. Romans 16, 
Well, Paul can gladly call Phoebe a deacon in the church. Now, please do ask if you have any questions about that in the Q&A, but we, we, won't, we won't kind of touch on that too much now. Um, but hopefully we see that there is kind of precedent for it. Now, despite this distinction that kind of the elders are in charge of the teaching, that doesn't mean that deacons can never teach. In fact, the longest recorded sermon in Acts was actually given by a deacon, not an elder. So deacons can definitely teach. But whether they teach or not, there is one thing a deacon must be, verse 9. They must be able to hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience So deacons, you need to know the truth of the gospel clearly. So that means we wouldn't employ someone from outside the church family who wasn't a Christian to help out with our admin. Because actually what matters more is not how gifted they would be at the job, but actually are they pursuing godliness? Are they loving the Lord Jesus? Do they know the truth? Because that's what a deacon must be. And because deacons must know the truth and because they must be pursuing this godliness, well, that too is why Paul spends much of his time discussing them, more concerned about their godliness than their role. So that's what we're going to focus on now and look at some of the attributes that a deacon must have. Now, we're not going to go through them all one by one again, mainly because they're kind of the same as an elder. Um, And if there are kind of any differences... That isn't to say that kind of one thing is acceptable to one group and unacceptable to the other. For example, deacons, you're not to be slanderers, but elders, you can go around and do whatever you want. Feel free to character assassinate whoever you want in the church. No, um, both of you need to have a high pursuit of godliness. That actually, that is what you're meant to be focusing on. It's not looking at the differences for what you can get away with, but actually wanting to be more like Christ. So let's see what it says about deacons. Not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy, not slanderers. So it means you're not double-tongued. You're not going around saying one thing to one person and then saying something else to someone else in order to be deceptive and try and confuse. You're not addicted to much wine. You're not going out and getting drunk. You're not greedy for dishonest gain. You're not using your position in the church to try and take things from others. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. That is what you are to be if you're a deacon. And deacons, does that describe you? When you look through that list, is that what you see? And for the rest of us, when we look at our deacons, is that what we see in who we've appointed to serve in this church family? Because just like elders, while Paul is so concerned about a deacon's godliness, so we must too. It doesn't matter how good or effective at the job they would be, Even if they were the most gifted deacon you could ever imagine, well, if they had no godliness, then they should not be in that role. If they're slandering, if they're greedy, if they're double-tongued, then no matter how good the Excel spreadsheet is, then they cannot serve that way. 
because actually that wouldn't help us all pursue godliness. Just think about it. Let's imagine a greedy deacon who's been put in charge of the church finances. Well, giving is a clear command to Christians, to their local church. But if you knew that the deacon was pilfering and swindling away your money every time you gave to the church, well, you wouldn't keep on giving to it, would you? A deacon's ungodliness can actually stop you living out your Christian faith and could be holding you back from living as you ought in God's household. The godliness of our leaders really does matter. So is that your main concern, deacons? And elders, when you appoint deacons, what do you look for? Do you look for their skills and their gifts? Or are you more concerned about their godliness and their character? Now, we don't want to be putting people in jobs that they're not tested to do and they're not capable of. That wouldn't be kind. But actually, Paul seems more concerned with how they act than what they do. Are they living out lives which honor the gospel and help us all to grow? Now, just like elders, deacons will not be perfect in all these ways. We're not looking for perfection, but we're looking for people that are dependent on the Lord Jesus and coming to him for forgiveness when they need it. That they should be repentant when one is lacking and growing in them all, just like elders. So that is what we should be praying for, for our deacons, all of us. Are we praying that our deacons will be growing in godliness? That they will be quick to repent? That they will be dependent on the Lord? And that they would be serving well to help this church family be ordered? Is that what we're praying for them? And are we, are we chatting to them about it? Are we speaking to them about how their service is going, how they're doing in their personal godliness around this church family? Are we thanking them for what they do behind closed doors? And are we helping press them on towards the Lord Jesus and towards pursuing godly living, which helps the whole church family to grow? Because godly leadership is essential if we are to be a pillar and buttress of the truth in Collington. If we're going to know the truth, if we're going to share it to others, and if we're going to live it out ourselves, then we need godly men and women who teach, know, and live out the truth in all they do to help us all be God's church. So from all we've seen this morning, to the elders and the deacons in the room, is teaching and knowing the truth, and pursuing godliness, your priority in this church family today. For all of us, is this the sort of, are these the sort of leaders we actually want? Are these the sort of leaders we know are good for us? Are these the sort of things we pray for our leaders? And do we see why having godly leaders is so important for us? Because they remind us and they teach us of the truth that Jesus came and died so that sinners like us might know full forgiveness and that we might be able to look forward to the day that we've sung about so far this morning of when he calls us home 
and we enjoy being in his presence forever, where actually leadership is essential for us knowing that truth and us getting there in the end, because they spur us on and they teach us of the Lord and they help us all to be a pillar and buttress of the truth which God uses to save many and to reach his world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us godly men and women who lead this church and point us towards your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his death. We pray, though, that you would help our leaders to keep prioritizing growing in godliness, and we pray you'd help us to support them, to love them, and to pray for them as they do that. And we pray that you would help us all to be the pillar and buttress of the truth here in Collington so that your name might be glorified in all we do. Amen.